Welcome to Today I Choose, where we talk about living life with intention. I'm your host, Melissa Bingham. I help spiritual seekers unlock the magic of intentional living through meditation, energy healing, and mentorship. In today's episode, I'm happy to share my conversation with Tara Whiteman Fager. She's been living her life with intention for over 10 years and incorporates intention through her relationships, her work, her parenting, her artistry, her coaching. She's a chiropractor by training, an acupuncturist, a life coach, an artist, a mom, and a dog mom. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, welcome everybody. I am so excited to have a living example of intentional living on our call today, which I'm sure that makes her very nervous that I said that, but <laughs> but my friend Tara Whiteman Fager is just such a living example of choosing to live intentionally in its beauty and its messiness and its vulnerability. So I'm excited about this conversation today. So Tara, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also excited. Yeah. So let's start with the big question. What does mm-hmm. intentional living mean to you? It's a big, big question. And for me, it's a little bit complex. So bear with me. I feel like living with intention kind of comes in a few different parts. The first one would be, you know, I speak in the eye, by the way, Melissa, because that's where my work is. I'm working yep. on myself and my family. And then of course my community. And eventually I'll be back out there with my clients again. I have an intention to do that. And that's just an example there. So it means living with a reason or having a purpose behind how I show myself to the world, at least in terms of what I'm responsible to be accountable for. We cannot control so much, but what we can control is so much about ourselves. It's kind of having the autonomy to show up and opt into the I choose. And I apologize to piggyback on you, but it was a huge, huge tool for me to realize living intentionally. So it's opting into the art and practice that I choose. Beautiful. Well, you know, I love that. So that's, that's <laughs> the, the way I choose. So, so talk to me about how that plays out in your life, because I know you have, you employ this practice throughout your relationships, throughout your parenting and your, your work in the world and literally just how you show up. I know that you started as a chiropractor. And you are in the midst of transitioning kind of in your career. So let's start with work. How do you show up intentionally with work? Professional work or personal, Melissa? And I don't mean to... Whichever you want to talk about, both. Talk about professional later. The personal work, what that means is I show up physically and emotionally. I put a lot of thought behind the choices I make. And a lot of that came from gathering my career tools by going to chiropractic school, continued education with acupuncture. And originally I had started out with a practice hoping to help people realize that their body and their mind communicate and that some of those symptoms can come through from the mental emotional realm into the physical one. And I've just continued to gather more and more tools for myself that I've tried and practiced. There's probably a little note on the side here, people should know that I come from a pretty traumatic background and I didn't own that until after I was a parent for the third time and went through some very difficult transitions with my mother, my biological mother passing. We almost lost my son and the woman who raised me all passed within three months and it brought an awakening to me. And picking up different practices and applying them with intention has really helped heal me, my family, ancestral chains and lineage. 
And uh, the biggest way that I do that is with my heart. And I know that sounds simple, but there's a lot of neurology in our heart. Scientists can prove now that it has its own nervous system. So I just started feeling my way there. And as things came up, I thought them out, made intention, followed them, made switches, whether it be with parenting, co-parenting, because the boy's father and I have separated and we still reside together. And it's been years through intentional living that we've been able to make that work. Same for our business, et cetera. The most beautiful example that I have witnessed with you is with you and your partner, your parenting partner now of how you have chosen to remain friends, to cohabitate and to co-parent the three boys that you have. How have you navigated that? With a lot of faith and a lot of spirituality and a lot of patience. And I can't take the credit for that. Their father's an amazing man. He's also a chiropractor. And once we realized everything that was going on, we uh, sat down and looked it over and thought about our choices, our options, I'm sorry, our options. And our choices reflected what we wanted. And that's for both of us. We wanted to heal our inner children. And we wanted to try to break some of the chains that were passed from ancestral or inherited. And one thing I want to say before we go any farther is our parents, and you're a parent, so maybe can relate, have never done anything intentionally to harm us. Like they don't wake up and think this is what's going to happen. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, in the process of my parents, separating and divorcing. And it was a very discombobulated and very toxic situation for many reasons, some of their own reasons, some that they inherited, you know, these learnings, these limited beliefs and such. And so that was awful for me. We didn't want that for our children. And when we factored in all of those things and used all that knowledge, we kind of navigated around by healing our inner children as we also parented our children. And that's not to be confused with living vicariously or permissive parenting. It's saying, hey, if that's not good enough for my kid, it wasn't good enough for me either. And that's not a material reference, you know, an emotional. Well, yeah, no, I I hear you. And, you know, it is those traumas, whether they were and and most often, as you said, they're not intentionally inflicted. (laughs) But we end up with these traumas or these memories or these wounds. And I know I hear words come out of my mouth sometime and I'm like, oh, that's going to bite me in the ass some year. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) we have those too. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, it's, it's, I always talk about, we're always, we're in the practice of this. I, I practice every day to be the best that I can be. That's one of the four agreements. And some days my best is not very pretty, but It's what I can do based on what I'm experiencing from whatever's happening inside of me and then comes out and I have to like catch myself. But I love in what you wrote to me, and if you start to follow Tara on social media or wherever you can follow her, which we'll talk about later, you will find she is a very eloquent and creative and beautiful writer. And in one of the things, one of the things that you wrote to me when you talked about your work, you said, I'm just going to read this. It says, I'm currently building bridges and integrating the past parts of my life with my current one. And you mentioned, I underlined it, I think four times, you mentioned building bridges <laughs> several times because, but your intention is to be, this is how I see it. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Part of the intentional life that you have built is being that bridge of your parents to your children to your past ancestors, to your future ancestors. And you talk about, you know, not passing on those wounds to not passing on that familial trauma. How did you come to the agreement and decision with your husband to to move forward this way? 
he and I have known each other for well over 22 years now, I think. I may be off a little bit there, but, you know, it comes with a learning of each other. And when you, when we united originally, we laid it all out, what we were looking for, what our intentions were. And then when we fell off from some of those intentions, because like you said, some days our best isn't beautiful, but it's the best. You know, we just kept revisiting over and over again. Why did we come together? We came together to build a business and a home and a family, but we didn't, we didn't function properly like a set of gears in convention. So we just owned that and stepped outside the box. And we came to the decision that letting our children pass back and forth between us. And I love the reference of the three Billy goats gruffs, especially (laughs) because I have three boys, you know, Mm -hmm. they may think the grass is greener on one side. Let's just keep it simple for dad's side, or they may think it's greener on mom's side, but we don't care because we both know we have different things to offer our children. So making that bridge so that they can pass back and forth between us and collect the guidance that they want, because, you know, they're individuals themselves. It's just out of unconditional love for our children, our family unit and each other. And don't get me wrong. There were ups and downs, plenty of those. (laughs) Yeah. But we're in a sweet spot right now. So I don't know how we came to it other than just he and I took into account everything that we had been through in our past, considered that we may have past lives even in terms of, you know, however you want to look at that, whether it's energy or karma or whether it's not, maybe it's not, maybe it's just the here and now, but drawing from our traumas, unfortunately, and our triumphs, we put them together and that's where we try to sit with the boys. We're, we're very forward. We're honest with them. They understand about my background. They see when I go through a PTSD episode. They watch as we come out of it. You know, I don't know. It's just all from the feels. Like I was talking about emotions and the heart. That nervous system on our heart communicates more to our brain, I think, than the other way around. So I kind of let it lead. I kind of said that earlier. As you referenced, there is a lot of research that talks about really the heart is is what we consider the brain. You know, it, it really is controlling and and guiding the body and guiding the emotion. And so, you know, when I'm leading a meditation, I'm always centering us in the heart first. It's like bringing everybody back to your heart and like lead with your heart. And, yes. you know, that's counterintuitive, obviously, to what our culture has said. And yet, there's so much research now that really says if we get into that feeling nature, if we sink into that spot of knowing that, you know, and allowing our heart to help make decisions and guide us, that we can't go wrong. I had to leave my little nest here in Illinois, and that's what brought me to Southern California. And it was so that I could deliberately, intentionally listen to like what you're saying, the knowing. A couple of years ago, some things were getting blurred and the decisions that we were making didn't feel right to us. And so we needed to change that. And when I got away from all of the triggers that were inflaming that, see, when we went into the pandemic, we went from a household that coexisted separate with a schedule to a household that now is all together. And sometimes those things reactivate. So separating a bit and then being able to come in and out of this little nest here in Illinois with my children and their father and having them back and forth has really allowed us, especially me, to listen to my heart. Because, you know, as we're talking with nerve endings and stuff, if there's a nervous system there, there's a memory there. And so kind of to circle around and answer your question, how did we go this way with our children? It was by recognizing the memories in our heart and then, of course, making our actions match. So beautiful. So, so beautiful. So. Let's talk about some of the tools that you use, because I know as you referenced your 
your upbringing and some of the traumas that that you experienced. But I know you have been working with a lot of different tools to really navigate through that and mm-hmm. to really become this best version of yourself. And so what's mm-hmm. what's your practice like? How do you what do you what tools are you using to help you navigate life these days? So this is an interesting situation, see, because I come from a chosen educational path. So I was very heavily educated in the sciences per my choice. And I want to point out that the motivation behind that was to get out, to get out of the smaller hometown where all of my information and all of my struggles and even some of my the things I was proud about were out in the open. I was so vulnerable and I needed to get out so that I could explore myself. I was living in the shadows of my parents and such. And so very heavily educated in the sciences. And for a long time, I used that to help. I helped to explain to mothers and children, prenatal, postnatal, how the sciences can affect our physical body. But it just didn't agree with me after a while. And so somehow I switched or integrated. I guess I didn't integrate right away. I explored those other tools that we talk about, whether it be yoga, meditation. And here we go with the stuff that I know some people struggle with in the culture that I'm in right now. And it's my goal to help open that. Crystals, card readings, and essential oils, scents, those little materials, the rocks, the feathers, mother nature, seeing flowers and how those things season, you know, they grow, they die, they come back. All of these things just started making more sense to me. And so I started playing with them and I started soothing myself with them. And I always kept a little mental note that a crystal could have energy. It could have healing, but it could also be placebo for the people who want to sit on that side of the Venn diagram and the science side. For me, it's a reminder of self-care. So the biggest part of intentional living for me has come out of self-care and using all of those tools to remind myself to do so. And that could be 15 minutes to two weeks, whatever I need so that I can fill myself up so I can come back and take care of my family as we intended. I love that. It's funny you say that it could be a placebo effect because I remember years ago I was talking with somebody and about all of the what I call magic in the world. And basically we came down to life's way more fun living with the thought that all this is possible, living in that. (laughs) And then it could, you know, it just makes life more fun. You know, it's empowering. Um, It is empowering. It's reclaiming our, you know, I I apologize for keep referencing this, but, you know, while I do this self-care, I come into contact with my gut and I can feel where my gut is my instinct, my knowing. And there's a difference in what I call or what I have been taught to call my trolls. Again, the reference, the, (laughs) the, the three billy goats. When those trolls from my past come up and they start antagonizing, it's something simple. And I don't care if it's a placebo. I don't care if it's holding a rock to remind me that that's a troll. That's something that psychologically may have been there to protect me in the past, but it has no business here because my family functions differently. And, you know, I get in touch with my grandparents. They raised me from the time I was three. And I hear some of the old wives tales that they might talk about. And I see them now showing up this many years later in science. And I think, yes. So they're just additional ways to keep navigating and reminding yourself, come back to self, come back to center, come back to source. It tattooing is, a- is also another one for me. Yeah, that so was like I was going to go there one. next. Yeah, <laughs> I want to talk to me about the tattooing because you mentioned that. <laughs> so tattoos, you know, used to be something that I thought were not for me. And I can't tell you how many years I admired people's, I liked them, but I just thought, no, it's not for me. 
And then after I went through about 10 years ago, all of those things I told you about my grandmother who raised me passing and my mom and the troubles with our youngest, who's healthy, happy, and just amazing. He's a, a constant reminder to live with intention. See, I got so excited about him. I forgot where I was going here. Tattooing. Tattoos. So I needed, I learned about myself in my quiet time when I took the road I choose to care for myself. I learned that I am a person who needs feedback and society tells us not to get feedback from outside other people, be yourself, you know, be authentic, but then they turn around and everybody wants to throw in their opinion. And so I found that kind of difficult to navigate a double standard. So then I just decided I need feedback and it needs to come from me. So every time I get a good grade, you know, I pass my, whatever the challenge is, I go ahead and I get a mark on my body, just like one might get on a report card. And this reminds me that I did well. And it also reminds me where I started. And there's, of course, deep meaning to it. But the history behind it, behind tattooing, also talks about how it's a way to mark deep beliefs, traditions, ancestry, but it's also a place where you can hit acupuncture points and pressure points. And so that's a constant reminder to see on my arm, for example, where the key is. I have a beautiful key there. And it reminds me about my heart meridian. And that's where I have to focus because I need to keep the chi flowing. So it's a reward and it's also a reminder, like a report card. (laughs) So beautiful. I love to look at other people's tattoos, but I don't do self-inflicted pain. So... (laughs) At least I, I mean, haven't I yet. I gave birth naturally three times. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> the tattoo is nothing but a little buzzing at some, you know, there are painful points, especially, you know, when they get to certain areas, it's a little bit more uncomfortable. But if, if I can deal with it, you know, well, what happened in life, I can deal with that. And it's interesting that you bring up the tattooing and the acupuncture points. So what is that? Can you tell when you're getting a tattoo if they've hit an acupuncture point? You know, interesting story. The very first one I got was in honor of my mother. When I say I lived in the shadows of her, she was an extremely young mother and she had a lot of trauma herself and she had been taken advantage of and such. And let's just say that the series of life events that unfolded for her, which then became my brother's and mine eventually, when she passed, I wanted to do something to honor her beauty because that wasn't spoken of very often and not just her physical beauty, but all of the things about her that were beautiful to me as a daughter that I only had bits and pieces because I only saw her on occasion. So I put a tattoo on my back and it turned out in a heart shape with a lock and it kind of came about on its own. And then I realized that represents my heart chakra. Hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily hitting the spot there, but in other areas, yes. And it's just a reminder when I look at the key, if I massage that key, if I rub around that key, those are the areas that I need to keep flowing for me. So I can't tell necessarily when it hits, but I know that it's hit because it opens a whole nother kind of energy resource for me. Yeah. Interesting. So how many tattoos do you have now? Um, I don't know if I can count them because they kind of all connect. So it's more of like a garden. You know, I have some ivy, which is a beautiful plant. And I think you know this about me through following me. I love nature and I, mm-hmm. I glean a lot of information from nature. And I just found out recently that apparently my mother did too. This isn't something I knew. It came instinctively mm-hmm. to me or inherently. And so there's flowers and butterflies and keys to the secret garden. And let's see, I have a rose with my soul card on there. So I'd say mm-hmm. I have three or four big pieces. And reminders. That's again, it's even like those crystals, right? It's, it's just like you said, you can touch the key. 
and it moves the energy. It's a beautiful reminder on your physical being. And, you know, when you are a person of my nature who comes from science and also love the nature, I need a middle way. So I always reference, you know, I love Venn diagrams. I'm a big nerd about it. I literally, <laughs> that's how I practice my intention setting is I'll make, you know, in my mind, a Venn diagram and where it falls in the middle, whether it's similarities or whether that center part is the differences. That's the point of focus. It's like, as you've you know referenced in your writing, being the bridge. And you also, you know, one of the other things that you wrote to me that I, such a great visual image when you're talking about how you show up and, and you say so that I can show up in that pinch of an hourglass. And so it is in that, that in-between space. You got it. That's exactly it. So whether, and this is, you know, I don't want to go forward because I think you, we had talked a little bit about, about talking about my, my work in the world. The Venn diagram, I'm hoping, you know, that that can appeal to the people who need it on one side of their brain and the tattoos, another, or the crystals, the energy, whatever it is, I'm just trying to find a middle way so that people can see through my example that these things may seem little, but they really have huge impacts. And eventually you don't need the crystals. You don't need the tattooing. You don't need the nature walks in the way that you used to because you've filled those voids. And that energy remains until it, you know, until it needs replenishing, but you now know the way you're tracing. And I could go neurological with this all day. You're changing your chemical and your brain makeup as well as your heart. Making new neural pathways. Yes. Neuroplasticity is awesome. And again, it is, it's changing that pattern in our brain. And so we can make the new way of being and I've personally experienced like an evolution of my spiritual practice. I still meditate. There's still some key foundational things that bring me to my center. And there have been some of those things like the crystals, like the cards, like the chanting, drumming, things that they, they come in and out. And I, and I see the value and they, they take me where I need to go in the moment. And whatever I'm working through or working with, it helps me get through or around or get deeper into whatever that is. And then it kind of ebbs away. I remember at one point I got, I got really attached like, oh, I don't want to let this practice go or, oh, what, what's happening? You know? And then once you kind of just, you're gently just release it, just recognize that, that these things come and go. It's just the ebb and flow, just like the waves. Exactly. And you know, that's a big part too. I often will reference in my writing, I'm not a surfer. My youngest son is trying. He's pretty well on his way considering. And exactly what you're saying, the ebb and flow, there are times where you're just literally waiting for that perfect wave. And maybe the perfect wave doesn't come, but you have to get out of the water. So you're going to take the wave and you're going to get out of the water and you're going to understand that this may return tomorrow. And the ocean has taught me so much about accepting emotions, even and how they ebb and flow. Because before where I would have been because of PTSD, explosive, and I'm going to say it, abusive. I have come so far from that to the point where I think, wait a second, the waves, they ebb, they flow. Can I surf this? Can I ride it out? You know, I'm not on the wave myself, but mentally, can I ride this wave out? And can I hold on? And can I do it as gracefully as I possibly can without crashing, without exploding? So there's a lot of learning in nature. And you've given yourself and, and surrounded yourself with the tools that if you do crash, then you know where to go and who to go to or what to go to to get you through it. That's exactly it. That's exactly the process. And what I'm referencing when I said, you know, some of these practices can, I don't want to say go by the wayside, but they can tuck in and take a little rest. 
And when you need them, so like we're saying, let's just talk in you know normal terms, when I'm having a meltdown yeah. for whatever reason, and I could name grief, for example, grief is a big one I've dealt with my entire life and I've tried to run from it and run from it. And here I am now facing it and we can talk about that later. But when I'm melting down, it never goes as long or as hard. Now I either can go inside mentally and grab that prana, that energy, that moment in my mind's eye to relax, to get me to the next thing that I need to do to make sure that my fight or flight isn't navigating the ship or running the show. Yeah. And I've, I've talked before on this podcast. And so if you're a regular listener, you've heard me say this before, but it's, it's all about course correction. And I had a teacher years ago that, that talked about when an airplane flies from San Francisco to Chicago, you know, you see on a map, this little, you know, little straight line that goes right from, from city to city. (laughs) But, but what we don't see is that up in the air, the plane is veering to the left and veering to the right and just making constant little course corrections. And through my work with spiritual practice and, and all the work that I've done over the years, it, there'd be days that the plane would take off and I'd land in Seattle instead of Chicago because my emotions would get away from me or I'd get triggered or all of those things. Mm-hmm. And that and that course correction might take a couple of days. Whereas now I've got tools and people and things to help me navigate where that course correction might just, you know, take a couple hours or it, that time to get back on course just takes takes less time. That is the ebb and flow of these, all these spiritual practices and these tools that we have to use. Yes. And, you know, just to your point there, Melissa, where you're saying, you know who to go to or whatnot. So I like to think of it if I'm in nature as a web, you know, a spider mm-hmm. web, yeah. or if I'm not in nature and I have to think about it another way, we'll talk a bridge, you know, whatever angle I have to come at it from to help myself, my children, my clients, my friends. One of the biggest issues that we are up against, especially as women, but it's not just for women, it's for men too, but I am a woman, so I understand that part, is the struggle with the loss of community. So that webbing, that network with the way that our lifestyles are nowadays is thin. You have to consciously, you have to intend to go out and build yourself a network, whether it's professional or family. You know, I have a very large chosen family. Many of my family members are. We call each other, you know, our children call each other aunts and uncles and have for 20 something years or however long. So that sense of community is huge in this work and having people to ask or go to. It it really is. And it's it is one of those things that and as you you move through your own evolution, you know, those communities also change and morph. And Mm -hmm. it is having those kind of foundational communities and then also just recognizing who comes in and comes out. Well, that's another thing, too, that I feel like I want to speak to. You know, one of the things, if it's okay with you, I want to talk about how your I Choose series has (laughs) really helped me get myself into check with my relationship with alcohol. Mm. And that was a really longstanding karmic or whatever anybody wants to call it. You could call it it karma. You want to say that I inherited it genetically, like literally, or whether I inherited it through epigenetics and energy, whatever it is, is I did not have the best relationship with alcohol. At one point when I was old enough to drink, I didn't want anything to do with it. I was dead set against it because of the traumas with it in my past. And then I got to the point where I had some balance, but then, you know, before you know it, it, it's a tool that I was using inappropriately. And before you know it, you have to stop and look at yourself and say, am I repeating these cycles? Am I perpetuating them? 
And so I choose, gave me an opportunity to say, I choose to be 100% sober at this party today so I can experience it in the present moment. Or I, you, you get the picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's also another big challenge I think a lot of people are facing nowadays is the self-medication. Be it alcohol, be it sugar, be it TV, be it drugs. Any yeah. of it. Any of it. Yes. Yeah. And that's like you're saying, intentional living, it, you know, I've heard you say this before and I completely subscribe to it. And it's not just one part of your life. Once you get fluent, once you, in, in my science brain, once you've, you know, myelinated those nerves and you've gotten them all rewired and fattened up and ready to communicate, you don't even think twice about some of these things. You just know you put something green in your body every day. You know that you exercise a little bit every day. Hence my you know, 10 minutes of yoga without any of the fuss. Doesn't matter what you're wearing, where you are, break it down, get on the ground, yeah. get back to yourself. Downward dog, wherever, yeah. whenever. <laughs> oh, my favorite position is child position. Oh yeah, There's right. Something, something about that. So calming. Child's pose and happy baby. I'm really good yes. with those. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I know that in all of this work that you do and, and all the work that you're going to be doing moving forward in the world, that mental health and suicide prevention are also very near and dear to your heart. They really are. What do you want to know about it? Well, how, <laughs> just tell me, because I know you've been raising money for mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Just where does that stem from? What I won't assume I'll let you tell us. And what you're doing with that and how you're integrating that in with your family and your community, because I see you doing that as well. Oh, that's lots of questions. So, and I'm ready to answer them. My relationship with suicide stems from that. I, as I had said, I was raised by my grandparents and my grandfather had found his mother at a very young age. She had taken her own life and he was, I believe, 16. And that stuck with him to the point where there were certain things like even playing in trees, there were regulations about how we could climb into a tree or whatnot because of the situation in which he found her. And in my growing years, to say somebody took their life by suicide, which of course I wanna put this out there, people say the person committed suicide. And I have a very close friend who lost her brother to suicide and she put an end to that for me. She said, you have to be intentional with your language. That was years ago and I thought, okay, she's right. To commit means in my eyes, you're doing something wrong. And I understand that that can be wrong for people, but it's not something that people set out and intend to do harm to themselves or anybody else. But mental health ultimately leads to that idealization of suicide or those things. Coming up in a family where not one, but then another close to my grandfather ancestor did the same. And my grandfather, I believe, struggled with depression. It was never diagnosed, but the means in which he was living were limited. And I think from those traumas and that carries through to us, we hear it as children. And then before I knew it, when, when I had depleted all of the resources that I had for my mental sanity and safety, I started to have idealization. It took me a long time and I was able to pinpoint going all the way back as far as I possibly can, that feeling inadequate or that my life source is inadequate. And that comes from being a child who went probably periods of time long periods without their needs met. So when I'm feeling, or when I was feeling panicked, I would dip down into that idealization. And that's over 10 years ago, I guess. And at some point I thought this can't be an option. And again, I be careful with the words. I don't like to say, you know, mentally ill or whatever. I'd much rather say, let's focus on mental health and wellness so that we can avoid having to speak about suicide and prevention. 
And so I have to start that in my own household. And then finally got to the point where I could talk a little bit more openly about it and now into the community. And that's the point in raising the money and doing the walk and saying, look, even a decent, regular old woman walking down the street with her kids has struggles. It may look great, but there are things there that need to be attended to. You know that that doesn't get inherited by my children. And if, if I can help them inherit the toolbox to work with mental wellness, whether for themselves or others, then great. I'm happy to do it. Even if it means I have to expose myself and be vulnerable because there's a stigma associated with it. And, you know, I think one of the biggest gifts we can give our children is to, to really work past that stigma and give them the tools that they need and give them the resources to recognize when they, they need support and to really support their mental wellness. I have one rule with my kids, your self-care first, period. Yes, us too. That's it, period. Mm-hmm. I, nothing else matters. You have to take care of yourself first. You have to do what is best for you to do first. And That's a big question. We often, you know, when the kids, the boys come to us or they ask, you know, we don't answer them. We give a question back. Well, what do you want? What do you mm-hmm. need? And where do are you, you need? feeling it? Yeah. Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it emotional? What is it that you need, kiddos? Let's go with that. So what do you need is what, you know, and, and a lot of times they can't articulate what they need. You know, we go a little deeper. We, we ask, you know, try to try to pinpoint, as you said, where are you feeling it? All of those things, but, but really getting, you know, I don't remember as a child ever being asked what I needed. Mm-hmm. Me either. You know? Yeah. Me either. And, you know, sometimes they don't know what they need, but I think and you're a parent and I've worked with many, many children, be it on a professional or a personal level. A lot of times they just need to know that they have an option, that they have autonomy or let's break it back down to you, Melissa, a choice. And a voice, a platform where they can speak their voice comfortably. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I like to think that I'm breaking these chains and that their father's helping me do so, so that our grandchildren aren't being weighted down by shackles of mental health needs and can actually, you know, maybe carry on, do our work. Something my grandmother had told me once, the one who raised me when I was leaving for college, I had thought about not going to college. And she had said to me, I didn't work this hard to get you this far for you to just stay here and repeat it all. And I did not have a clue what she was talking about. Mm. And that gives me goosebumps just saying it because I hear her so loud and so clear now. And I'm glad that she, you know, kind of encouraged me. I didn't want to leave because I didn't want to leave her. My grandfather had passed. She was on her own, but she was one tough cookie. And when I think about the stepping stones, and I'm sure you've heard me reference those in some of my writings. She laid so many of those stepping stones for me and my mother too, and the women before them. And it doesn't have to just be our related family. These are women, you know? So when I show up, I've, if I'm walking on these stepping stones, I just want everybody to know I'm walking on a path those women have laid before me and I have laid some and I want to continue to keep that path clear so that we can ultimately get where we're all going. One of the things that I love, especially in your writing and in your photography, and you referenced it in some of what you wrote to me, is this idea of that authentic posting. And I know you're (laughs) well, and and I know that you're about to embark on a journey later this week that I, I know you're planning to document, but you're about to go on a very vulnerable and authentic journey. I am. I am. You want me to talk about that? I do. Mm -hmm. If you want to. I do. I think it's important. 
my brother, so he he's my biological brother, a half brother. He and I spent our first, it'd be the first three years of my life together. And then we were separated by marriage and, you know, all of those things took us apart from each other. And we did connect on occasion on our Saturday visit, but there were times when those couldn't happen due to the issues that our parents were working on, I guess. And unfortunately, we were estranged for a good 10 years because after my mother passed away, there were some needs my brother had and I couldn't see them at the time and I wasn't available. I had my own issues with my own children and my own grief with my mother. So he's recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he's 45. He's had a very difficult life. He's been in and out of the system. And even though we lost touch, being able to spend time with each other physically, we always stayed in touch the best we could. And I've recently decided to go ahead and honor my grief and we've been given a blessing, which is he got knowledge and a time frame. And now he contacted me and we're working it out. So I've been to see him once and we had a blast. We went and fulfilled some of his lifelong dreams. And um, I'm going back again. And he seems to think it's going to be a goodbye visit. But you know what's difficult is we're dealing with coming back together, relearning each other, grieving the loss of our mother together, dealing with what we've got going on now with him. And it's touching every single traumatic trigger that could probably be, you know, raw wire that could be touched. And I nearly lost myself 10 years ago when I went through trying to avoid the grief. I worked through it and I started having physical manifestations. I had to have a neurologist eventually say, everything we've done comes back unremarkable and it's time to go address your heart. He said, I think you're in a point of grief. And this is a medical doctor. So I love this. This is a bridge mm -hmm. right there. And I did. I promised him if he did the tests I wanted to explain some of these fasciculations and these heart issues and why I felt like I was carrying multiple sclerosis symptoms or something. Long story short, that set me on this path. And now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to honor my grief and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to hold on to my brother as long as I possibly can until he says, let go. But it's hard because it brings up all of the things we went through as a child and we both remember them. And why? Is it so important for you to also document this? Good question. Very good question. For me, it's healing. That's another technique. It's an intentional way of dealing with the emotion, sitting with them, thinking them out, posing my vulnerability first to myself through the writing, honoring the grief. And then I, I do occasionally make it public because there are people out there who, even though my writing, and this is something that's interesting. So a traumatic brain will kind of scatter. It'll pop around. So I've learned from my wonderful, well, she's my therapist, but you know, she's very licensed and conventional and she also does some unconventional things. And so she's an integrative healthcare provider in my eyes. And she taught me how to deal with some of these things instead of ignoring that I'm scattered. She said, work with it. So in my writing, I hit several points that may seem semi-unrelated, but I start and I finish to tie it together. And the reason I do so is because there's so many people out there that one little section could appeal and, and help them or trigger a mind pathway to healing or whatever it is. And I can't write it in the same way all the time because it's coming from so many places. It's coming from personal experience. It's coming from scientifically backed, learned, educated, doctorate level information. It's coming from intuitive wisdom, knowing, et cetera. So I document it because not only do I want to help people, it's a process that I'm working through. 
And it's also a way for me to go back and look and say, I did it. And this is how I did it. And if I ever need these tools again, I can come back and it's working because I did this 10 years ago with the mother losses and I revisit those writings and I grab and pick up those tools and I'm applying them now. And so far, so, so good. Nothing but peace, even in this situation of terminal illness, both for me and my brother. Well, I'm, I'm so, I want to say this and it sounds, I don't want it to sound patronizing, but I'm so proud of you because I have witnessed this journey for the last, what, 15 years, 12 Mm -hmm. years. And, you know, as I said in the beginning, you have chosen to live your life with intention and just, you're just a beautiful example of how, how it can look and it doesn't necessarily look conventional um, and that's okay. And how you're choosing to heal yourself and be present for your relationships and your children and showing up in the world as an example. Um, And I love that you're doing that through your writing and then as you start your new practice and things. So I'm excited to to watch and see what else unfolds as you become fully Tara. (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. You've been a wonderful, you know, mentor. And I don't see it as patronizing at all, you know. Again, coming back to that thing that I said, I feel society tells us it's got to be individual and come from within, but yet at the same time, you, you know, want to look to people and, and have good feedback. So there's a fine line between somebody like yourself saying, I see you keep going versus Mm -hmm. the opposite, which I don't know about you, but my personality doesn't do too well with that either. (laughs) And you know me because I love what you said. I don't want to (laughs) be. Yeah. But thank uh, you for all of your guidance and your wisdom. And yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Putting yourself out there. It's it's a vulnerable place. Taking a while. It is. But, but you know, in this vulnerable place, I'm being, I'm capable and able, and I'm grateful that although I'm a little frustrated, I had to put some of my schooling, my continued ed, and my new practice on pause in order to honor my grief. It's okay. In some ways, I think it's divine intervention. I feel like I'm getting more pieces, and they'll they'll apply. It's a beautiful example of intentional living. You get to make that choice. And, you know, you you did write something about the fork in the road and, you know, one path leading to agony and misery and other leading to neutralization and peace. But again, it's, it is often that road less traveled where we find. You know, Melissa, I think that road less traveled, which is what I call the I choose highway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It often looks dark and lonely and it looks bumpy, but that's mm-hmm. just the beginning. I feel that like we're saying, and to wrap this up, all of these little tools that I use and people have many other ideas and options. I mean, this is, this is a buffet. This isn't, (laughs) you know, you can pick and choose, you know, you use that buffet, those tools, whatever, and you get through that hard part. And after a while it becomes second nature. And you think, you know, that's really shitty that this is happening, but I'm going to find the beauty and I'm going to live by it. And it does make a difference. Absolutely. Through that, I'm building a model for my future clients. There's nothing wrong with taking the time. Exactly. And what a beautiful model you're building for your children. You got to walk your talk, walk your talk. Yeah. Live by example. I'm trying and I make lots of mistakes, but I do want to say forgiveness is key of self. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I love to end these podcasts with some fun questions. And uh, so let's do it. So what is your favorite place and why? Oh, we know this is obvious. Well, to us. Yes. (laughs) Um, SoCal. Specifically Ocean Beach. And there's a place right on the cliffs, like a sweet spot. You're on the sand. You can touch the water. You can climb the cliff. I feel like that's like an amazing space to be. 
Carlsbad is described as the sweet spot of the universe by David G., one of my meditation teachers. So, oh. uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know the answer to this, but I'll ask, are you a cat person, a dog person or something else? <laughs> I'm a dog person. I don't have a choice. I have a Shiba Inu and a Pitbull. That's what they say. <laughs> dog. I love all animals. My oldest son, he says, my mom loves everything living. And it's true. But dogs are my my medicine. What's your favorite word? Perhaps. Mm. Perhaps. You can use it so many ways. You can use it to, um, you know, dream, manifest. Mm -hmm. You can use it for ideas. You can use it to interrupt a bad cycle. Maybe somebody's getting upset and you need to diffuse a situation. You know, their opinion is theirs or their feelings are theirs. Instead of saying no or rejecting or making them feel rejected, I often like to say to myself, they're entitled to their being. And so my answer, if I disagree, is often perhaps. Mm -hmm. Time will tell. It's living in possibility. Yes. What are you reading right now? <laughs> I'm also a scatterbrain when it comes to readings. I'm almost always reading multiple things. So I'm reading a book, Witnessing Whiteness by mm. Shelley Touchlock. I'm reading a numerology, you know, a key to human mm -hmm. behavior. I'm reading a little bit of The Green Witch. Well, that's on Audible. That's for doing house chores. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to read a little bit to touch every part, you know, the mental, emotional, physical, spiritual part of self, because I get bored easily. So I need to be able to bounce around, but I retain the information. So it's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. If you had a theme song, what would it be? This one's a hard one, Melissa. There's a song by Not Going Medicine for the People. It's very opportunistic. It's very about, it's about the good things coming. I think it's called mm -hmm. Black as Night. We'll have to look that up. Somebody, re you know, said, Tara, this reminds me of you because it's, you know, once you look it up, if, and I, you know, once you look it up, I think you'll understand why. Yeah. And I thought I'll take it. I'll, that does apply. I, I, I appreciate that reference from my good friend. If you were a superhero, what would your name be and what power would you have? I'm going to need help. I don't necessarily know <laughs> the name, the name I go by. My family likes, and they seem to think this is where I'm in my most powerful state is they call me big mama. <laughs> and I don't know if that fit because I'd kind of be a cross between a raven and a turkey vulture. I want <laughs> feathers. I want a bird's eye view. And my special power would be, I'd have some blacksmithery skills. I'd be able to handle metal, whether hot, cold. I'd be able to break some chains, forge some bonds. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. And then what is your intention for our world right now? Mm. You know, this is a hard one because I can see it very clearly in my mind's eye, but I have yet to figure out a way to voice it. So I'll try to keep it short and sweet. With everything going on right now, our children are up against things that we couldn't even possibly imagine. And so I think it's just important. If I could give a message, it would be to please parents, if you are separating, if you are divorcing, if you are in marriage and struggling, please set some intention for how you want to care for your children to make sure that they have the strongest, most solid foundation you possibly can provide, not just materialistically, but those emotions, those children will grow up to have an inner child. And if that inner child is not attended to, to the best of your ability, it can really cause a lot of trials and tribulations later on in life. And I'm not blaming parents. I'm saying just be intentional when you're separating your family. Such powerful intention. 
Because, you know, being separate doesn't always mean you have to be at at odds. Yeah. Well, Tara, if people want to find you on the internet or follow your writing, (laughs) how would people find you? I know you've got a website that's coming, but. Yes. So all of that, as I said, I took some time to honor that grief and be present and purposeful with my brother. And so a lot of those things are on hold. For now, you can just see me on Facebook, Tara W. Fager, and it's even limited. I've pulled back my writings a little bit, and I have, I have a blog that's waiting for me to to put something on it. So we'll see. But All right. Facebook well, is probably the easiest way, or hands-on family health, chiropractic. You can Google it. Well, we'll put those links up on the show notes page. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about intentional living with me. I'm so grateful and just wish you all the best. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having me. And um, hopefully I'll see you again in the future with something new. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. To learn more about Tara, go to our show notes page at todayichoose.me slash podcast. We'll have all of her social links and her website and her full bio there. And may your week be filled with intention. Today I Choose is brought to you by 3B Productions and Nevertheless Media. Our producer and audio engineer is Sam Booty. Our graphic designer is Marsha Craig. Our research assistant is Molly Bingham. To find us on Instagram, look for Today I Choose with Melissa. And find our Facebook group, Everyday Living with Intention. And on the web, todayichoose.me.